0: Hey friends, thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this message today. Everything that the Lord shows me is designed to impact people's lives and advance the kingdom in a mighty way. My prayer is that you would be so blessed and so rooted and so established in the more that the Lord has in store for your life. And remember, stay fired up. So the title of my message this morning for Sunday, November 6, 2016 is titled, The Justified Fight. The justified fight. Fabian read the scriptures. It came from Luke 18, 9 through 14. And we're just going to break it down verse by verse. Verse 9 says, gives us the context. And I kind of see this as a wrestling match between two people with God deciding the victory. I see this as maybe a boxing ring or an MMA fight. You got one person in one corner a Pharisee. You got a broken publican in another. Publican's not really a word that we use much here today, though we use the word Republican. That's not what it is. A publican is basically a public servant, designed to be a public servant, but really what they are are the scourge of society as the tax collectors that were in cahoots with the oppressive Roman regime. And so we have the setup. Jesus is talking to specific people that have a specific issue. And what I want to make sure is that none of you have this issue going on in your life, and I want to set the cultural stage for Rock City Church in the way that we are going to love and live, and here's why. Every day that we meet, every time we come together, there are people walking in off the streets that are homeless, that are low income, or even wealthy that are in heavy bondage in their life, and you may not even know it. Somebody could be sitting next to you that's a millionaire, and you don't know that because I don't highlight them. And they don't want to be highlighted. I don't give them any special treatment. Any of you at any time can come and sit up in this front row. I don't care. Now I have some leaders sit up here. My wife likes to sit up here. These, all these leaders like to sit up here because they love to be close. And I love it when you choose to sit up a little closer because you really want to get it. But our church is small enough, you're going to get it in the back. And there will always be people sitting in the back. And there's nothing wrong with that. We're a family. There's intimacy in this entire place. But the point that I'm trying to make is there's no special status by sitting up front. You don't have to reserve a special place for me at the table because I'm here to serve you. And I can serve you because I know where I came from, and I'll never forget where I came from. And I can identify with the really wealthy. I mean, I never made millions, but I've made enough to understand what it means to have a lot of money. And I have a lot of millionaire friends that I can relate to, that I help and carry through. But I've lived on the streets and been in prison. I know what it means to identify with those in prison. And let me tell you, there are people that are in prison that are more free than people that are out of prison. Some of the most on-fire Christians I know are behind bars, and that's their mission field. They made mistakes. They got locked up, but they found Jesus, and now they're on fire discipling people. And there are people that are out of prison that are locked up in the prison of their mind and the prison of the world that they created, and they don't know how to get free. I know it's crazy when i tell people i've spent a year in prison and those of you that are listening on the podcast might think that's a little crazy so i try to preface it with the fact that i was a nonviolent offender i was a deadhead wearing tie-dyes smoking doobies and going to a grateful dead concert when i got busted for drugs in the eight, in the early 90s people say oh you've just found jesus because you went to prison i say yeah thank god because had i not I'd either be dead or I'd have killed somebody else, and I'd be on a life of destruction. At that time, and for many years after that, it was one of the best years of my life. Now, I've had many, many better years since then, thank God. But during that year, I tutored illiterates, and I learned how to read the Bible, and I got baptized in the Holy Spirit, and I got the strength and the rootedness that I need for what would lie ahead, because I would move back to Miami, Florida, not knowing one Christian, and all my friends were deadheads, smoking pot, going to the clubs and the bars, I didn't have a church, I didn't have any Christian friends, and that would be the world I'd be thrown back into. But for you, you have an opportunity to give your life to Christ and immediately be involved with a family that understands and loves you and is fighting the fight together with you. You have a huge head start in your life. You don't need to make the mistakes that I've made. You don't need to go to prison to get what I got. You can choose to do it right here, right now, today, And walk this journey out. And I'll love you and fight with you every step of the way. I understand that it's tough. I understand that it's hard. I don't preach sloppy grace or hyper grace. If you're going to get on fire for the Lord, you'll suffer persecution. You will be abnormal. If you want to do anything supernatural, you will have people tell you you're crazy. You'll have family turn against you. You'll have friends that won't want to hang out with you anymore. You won't be popular the way that you once were. Your identity is not going to be in who you were in the world, but your identity will now be found as a son and as a daughter, and that takes time to learn that. And you need people around you that helps you understand grace, mercy, kindness, compassion, tender care, and patient walking through all the difficulties and troubles that this world has to offer and never giving up. You need somebody in your corner to fight with you, not against you. Our society is more polarized than it's ever been. You know what it means to be polarized? It means to have complete opposite and opposing beliefs where we're pitted against each other. And what's happening in our country and with the election in a few days has caused our country to be more polarized than it's ever been. And I will make one statement public for the record. I don't get political from the pulpit. I know that there are a lot of preachers that don't like that. I don't do it not because of the IRS or because of nonprofit statuses or worrying about anything or anyone. But the point is, is that I focused on the most important issues. And I teach you how to hear the voice of the Lord and adhere to what the Bible teaches. And I vote based on my biblical understanding of what the Bible says. And I do vote because I do believe that God has given us that right and the ability to influence our culture. Okay. But I don't use the pulpit to tell you what you should and shouldn't do, except from the context of voting. Biblically. And so I will do my thorough research of any candidates and anybody that I cast my vote for. But there's always one main defining factor that I always, always choose to vote for. Always. It's one thing. It's not the economy. It's not medical reasons. It's not anything but one thing, and that's life. Because I believe lawlessness in our society is a direct result of the spirit of murder in the womb. And I believe what we're seeing with the destructive behaviors is coming from a spirit of death that has ruled and reigned from Roe versus Wade. And that has been passed down in our culture for years and years and years. And Christians turning a blind eye to it. So I want to make it explicitly clear to you. Life matters to God. And I, I want you all to know that I, there are many people, and there are people here that have had abortions, and here's what I want you to know. There is no shame, and I love yes. you, and, and what you've been through is going to actually be a ministry to other people. Yes. It's happened, and I know people that have been through it. You Don't let that shame rule in your life. God can heal you completely, yeah. and I care for you, and I'm for you. I want you to know that. Yes. But I want you to know that I take a very clear, firm stand against the spirit of murder and i am a hundred percent against abortion i'm choosing to vote on the candidate that makes that choice now now i know some of you don't like that some of you may leave some of you may not like me last week i said that and some people got up and left it baffles me and it boggles me but i realize that i've got to take a stand for life because what's happening is really really I, it's it saddens me. So let's make a decision to vote for life. And that's if you call yourself a Christian, I'm just telling you right now, there's no gray area. There's no gray area. And so more than being polarized in our country, the church is incredibly polarized. And the church has been very, very polarized for a, lot time, a long time. Let me tell you just some of the things the church is very polarized on. Some of them are big, some of them are small. Halloween. The church is very polarized on Halloween. Well, maybe half the church sees no issue with it, and the other half sees demonic roots in it and chooses not to be a part of it. How about Easter? Can't call it, can't call it Easter. Can't have any Easter eggs. Can't do any, no bunnies. Oh, how about Christmas? Oh man, there's a scripture that says trees with shiny things hanging on it is idolatry. Can't practice Christmas. How about, oh gosh, I mean, where do I even go? There's such a list. How about alcohol? Alcohol is a huge divisive matter in the church. How about women <coughs> preachers? How about women pastors? I guarantee you, when I make the push for women being raised up in the hour, and it's about the bride, and i promoting women, men will not come to this church because of that. Guarantee it. How about tongues? Oh, man! I just divided us. That's a big one. You believe you're a tongue-talking church? Oh yeah. I mean, come on, guys. You want to talk about the church being polarized? I can go on and on and on and on. Republican, Democrat. I understand. But most of the issues that were polarized and divided on, we should not be. Yeah. And there are positions we should take and positions we shouldn't take. But what matters more than anything is that we preach the gospel truth, we preach the cross, and we're not afraid to talk about sin. We're not afraid to talk about right and wrong, but we do it in love, and we do it God's way, and we focus on what matters the most, and we focus on loving people really, really well. But Jesus would give this story as an incredible picture of what is happening in the church today. Because I know this might surprise you, but there's possibly some people that are really, really struggling in loving the homeless. There are people that come to me and have said, I just have had utter disdain for the people on the streets or drug addicts. I have very little to no compassion for a meth addict or a coke addict or an alcoholic. Especially when they just don't get over it and they keep living in a cycle of dysfunction. And you've tried to help, but they did it again. You tried to help, but they did it again over and over and over. Or I've tried to help 10 homeless people, not one got free, and they all took me to the cleaners and took all my money, and now I'm angry. So I'm just not going to do it anymore. And we develop this utter disdain. And then what we do in the, in the desire to see, seem like we're in good favor with God is we adhere to religious duty. Some of you grew up in religious systems. Some of you went to Catholic school, Catholic church your whole life. Maybe you went to another Christian school. Maybe your parents forced you all your life to go to a church or a Christian school that you didn't like or want to be a part of, and we can't put the blame on them. But the point is, is that we were pressured or pushed without understanding, and we were raised in religious dysfunction, and we rejected it altogether, and we walked away from it, or we learned that in order to get God's favor, we needed to be good. Because there were two trees in the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil is what most people are eating from today, most people. It's clear and obvious that evil will lead to death, but what about trying to be good and having a relationship with the good? It's still a part of the tree. And that is the polarized division in the church today. And that's the story that we're reading. And so Jesus is talking to people that trust in themselves and their own righteousness and despised others. And if you're not careful, you can have this despising attitude towards others and think that you're good or better than them. Fabian read the story. Basically, two people go to pray. They go to the temple. One's a Pharisee, one's a tax collector. Verse 10, verse 11. This is Luke 18, verse 11. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you, I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust adulterers, and even as the tax collector. The tax collector, standing far off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast or his chest, saying, God, have mercy, be merciful. To me a sinner jesus said in verse 14 i tell you this man went to his house justified rather than the other for everyone who exalts himself with beat will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted So, very important scripture for us because of the way our church is and our culture it's very important for us as we grow we have a lot of transients god put us right on spid in flower bluff or in the corner of waldron road and spid we're visible we're very noticed, and we're going to have a lot of diversity of types of people that are coming. Yeah. And you never come to a place where you arrive. You never come to the place where, oh, man, I'm not like that guy I've overcome, and now I'm just, gonna, I'm just going to stand over here to the side, and I don't have to cry out the way that person cries out. And we give into the subtle deception that you think everything's okay. And even though I'm not the man that I once was, I worship because I'm desperate, and I worship because I'm in need, and I love him because I need more of him, not just because I've overcome. Yeah. And if I don't learn to get into the trenches and lead by example in my worship and fight and pray together with you, then I subtly give into to what you're reading here. And that's what was happening. <laughs> and so Jesus is talking to these two people or people that have these two issues. They trust in themselves and their own righteousness. To trust means to be fully persuaded and confident in your own ability, particularly in the context of being religious and good. I trust in myself. That's what that means. Second thing is, is you have full self-reliance under the guise of God and religion. You talk the talk, you got christianese the Christianese language down, you go to church, you do all the right things, And you think that just because of your spiritual discipline and religious piety, you've gained favor with God. It doesn't work like that. To have full assurance and self-reliance upon yourself means you have faith in you, and it means that you have friendship with yourself. Now, it doesn't mean I don't want you to love yourself. It doesn't mean I don't want you to believe in yourself. It doesn't mean I don't say, come on, Marlene, have faith in yourself. You can do it. I believe in you. You've got the goods inside of you. It's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is that she, a person that has total and complete self-reliance on my own ability. Right. Instead, I have self-reliance upon him yes. and the abilities that he's put inside of me. And I know he's equipped me, and calls, equipped me and calls me a son. I understand the fact that God has given me all sufficiency and the power to become a son. And I understand that I'm totally dependent upon him. I can never get up here and preach with the self-reliance. I'm always dependent upon him. I go to bed late, I toss and turn, not because I don't have peace, but because I'm constantly thinking about this morning and I'm always a little bit nervous. Hundreds of you are coming now. Many of you are giving financially and supporting and serving. Your children are now coming. That's a great responsibility. So yes, I believe in myself, but my total dependency is upon him, not on my goodness or my religious piety. Understand? Okay. And so... The second thing is that they despised others, namely those who weren't like them. To despise means to have utter detestment and you're, have utter contempt for other people. The context is the fact that there are two people going to the temple to pray. They're in the right place at the temple, they seemingly have the right motives. They're there to pray. But they're totally polarized, they're completely polarized. One would have a misguided agenda. And Jesus would use this analogy or this parable to make an incredible point for all of us regarding true humility and the daily trap of death everyone has to battle. You know what the daily trap of death we all fight against is? Self-exaltation. I understand that we have to work hard. I understand we have needs and wants. I understand that we all are having to work and provide. I get the pressure. You got mouths at home, you have family, you have kids. Some of you are believing for a spouse and your singleness, longing for com- companionship, trying to overcome struggles. I get it. But this is why we come against self-exaltation and self-dependency and self-sufficiency because it's prideful and it's arrogant and ultimately it's an antichrist spirit that instead of trusting in him, you're trusting in yourself. That's idolatry yeah. at its finest and it's so sneaky. It's so sneaky. The Pharisee is somebody that has religious piety on the outside but on the inside is way, way far away from the Lord. Pharisees were a religious sect of leaders in Jesus' time, just before and and during his time and after that believed that their religious piety would give them favor with God. They believed that through ceremonial washings and fasting and prayer and you can transfer that to today going through all the right religious things you think that are right that they would gain favor with god and in turn it made them prideful and puffed up and it made them have a disdain for anyone and everyone else they believed in things that were different than the sadducees they believed in the afterlife they believed in the coming messiah And they had national pride. They were all about their nation. They were very pro Israel, of course, at the time. But they were also bitter enemies of Jesus and his cause. They were in turn severely rebuked by Jesus for their avarice. I've taught you that word, it means the pursuit of material gain and wealth, their ambition, and their hollow reliance on outward works and affection. And they used piety, religious piety, to gain popularity. They hated Jesus, and Jesus went full speed ahead after them. On the other side of the room, or in the ring, we have the publican. The publican is a tax gatherer, a collector of taxes, or tolls, one who's employed in the collection of taxes. The tax collectors were, as a class, detested not only by the Jews, but by other nations also, both on the account of who they were working for, but also because of their harshness, their greed, and their deception in which they did their job. They were considered traitors and sellouts to their own people and were basically hated in society. Hated. Because they were Israelites, they were Jews that were working for the oppressive Roman regime and they were compensated and paid extra money to treat their own brethren bitterly, harshly, and to take money from them. It's like your own family member that turns against you That instead of loving and supporting you and being for you, they now want to rob, steal, kill, take the inheritance. I mean, families are fighting over inheritances, hating each other, not talking for years and years and years, divided against each other. And that's the way that the tax collectors were looked at. They were the scourge of society. And so, for one, the fact that this guy would even walk into the temple, which was full of hypocrites at the time, is pretty miraculous. So this one particular person was drawn by the Lord and believed that they could find hope in the house of God. So people are going to walk in here coming from both backgrounds. Now, I don't want to create this pharisaical, pharisaical society here. So I'm going to teach you this because you've got to have a culture of forgiveness, compassion, love, grace, and humility. Every one of us are desperate every day. I remember when I led a girl to the Lord working at steak and ale restaurant. I was so fired up. I used to trade pot and sell drugs in the very steak and ale restaurant that I worked at for my side work and pay people off. I was dealing drugs there. I went, got busted, went to jail, got on fire, and went back and got my job back. And now I was boldly proclaiming Jesus, and I lived it, and I meant it. And some people didn't like it, but some people saw the authenticity in it. And there was one girl I led to the Lord. And many, many years later... She reached out to me. She found me. At the time, it was through MySpace. That's how long ago it was. She found me, and she said, I'm, I'm living for the Lord. I got born again. I read the, the scriptures, and I'm thankful for all that you did. I said, are you plugged into church? She goes, oh, no, 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 I'm not going to go to church. I said, why? She said, because of two things. She said, one, in my mind, I think all the really good people are supposed to be at church. And I'm afraid that if I go, I'm going to be let down. She said, and then the other thing is that I really just don't feel like I'm good enough to go. That's why if I don't create a culture that's more like a hospital than a palace, we're going to ostracize the people that are in the most desperate need. And it's not just a homeless poor person. It can be a south side, middle class suburbia making enough money seemingly satisfied in and of themselves but unhappy on the inside that needs Jesus just as bad as anybody and so these two people are having a showdown same place same time same seemingly same purpose It's a three round battle. Round one, the Pharisee is believing a lie, and he says, Thank you, God. Well, first he prays with himself, and he says, Thank you, God, that I'm not like them. I want you to notice that he's praying with himself. Verse ten. Anybody see an issue with that? Let's bring verse ten up. I'm sorry. It's uh, verse 11. The Pharisee stood and prayed with himself. What God cares about is authenticity. Yeah. He's walking around, praying with himself, with his eyes open, looking and judging and comparing. You can never do that. you got to stop comparing yourself. You compare yourself to the cross and what Jesus did in the, in the Bible. You use the word of God as your standard of how you're going to live your life, and you do what he tells you instead of trying to compare and measure up to what other people are doing. So he prays within himself, and he says, thank you, God, which would seem right out. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, yeah. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. But he's full of deception because he says, thank you, God, that I'm not like other men. It's other men. And of course, he's probably got one eye closed and one eye opened or walking around prideful with his chest puffed out like Fabian was doing. And he's comparing. So imagine if I'm looking and judging you while I preach. Imagine if I'm trying to figure out what your issues are and then I call them out right here in front of everyone instead of just loving you and seeing you the way Jesus sees you. Because I think most of us have had enough religion where the, the pastors and the preachers or your neighbors trying to pick the speck out of your eye when they got a plank poking out of their own. It's not the culture here. Sinners can walk in this church because this sinner had the, his head bowed low in shame, but he understood that he could cry out for mercy and get it. And if we if we're not careful, we'll inhibit what God wants to do because we think we're good or better or have arrived, and I never want that. And so he says, thank you that I'm not like everybody else. And this is the apathetic lie of society. There's no good. You can't trust anybody anymore. Our country's going to hell in a handbasket. Everybody's jacked up. There's no truth. Deception and lies are everywhere. And we live this apathetic life where we're hooked into CNN and Fox News or what's happening in the political landscape or the, war, the wars in the world around us. When Jesus has a purpose and a plan and an agenda in the midst of it, and it's called the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is different than the world system. And it doesn't mean that I don't play a role in affecting the world, but it means that I'm part of the kingdom now. And it means that I can affect change there instead of it affecting change here. And so Pharisee prays and thanks God that he's not like others. This is the comparison and judgmental trap. And it's misguided. Jesus never taught you to pray or live your life in comparison to others, ever. It doesn't mean we don't have examples. You've got to have somebody that can pull you up higher, for goodness sakes. What kind of pastor would I be if I was a porn-looking, drug-doing, alcoholic, wife-beating, wife-cheating? If I was like the guy that I once before, I wouldn't be able to pull people up and out. So God sets you free to set others free. And he creates a story in you to help others get their story. But if you're not careful, you'll start comparing and measuring yourself to others, thinking you're good to the point of having full confidence in yourself. So much so that anyone or anything that doesn't compare or match up to your life is less than and therefore becomes a disdain to you. And to top it off, you even think God is justifying you and he's on your side and he's not. The comparison trap is that I measure my success and ability based on the success and ability of another. So I'm comparing. Now, when you don't measure up or you fall short, suddenly I'm let down or I think I'm much better than you because I didn't fall like you did. And Paul said multiple times, if anybody thinks he stands, take heed. Everybody say take heed. heed. You got to take heed 24-7 every day, and you do that by living at the cross full time. He saw everyone else as extortioners. That's the practice of attaining something, especially money, through force or threats. It's basically believing everyone else is is a thief and a robber and out to get you. So when I come and say, man, I see so much in you. I see promise and life and love inside of you. And God's got a plan for your life. And I'm so thankful that you're here and he's coming full speed ahead after you. And she thinks, what's his motive? There's got to be something wrong here because people don't say that kind of stuff today. Especially a pastor. Why is he puffing me up? He just wants my money. He just wants me to keep coming back to this church. Lying, thieving, minister. We can live that way thinking that about most people, unfortunately. We think that most people are unjust, adulterers, and just like the tax collector. And the Pharisee's defense, as he fought in the round, would be that he's good and he's religious. I'm a good person. As soon as somebody says to me, I'm a good person, my red flag goes up. You're never going to be good enough, people. Ever. Just get, come to the revelation now. God doesn't want you to be good enough. You need to get free from religious dysfunction of feeling like you need to measure up and perform. He wants you to be spiritual. He wants you to do good. But until you get the righteousness of Christ living in your life and you get to the cross... And lay your life down. You're never going to be ever able to do what God's called you to do. And there's no Bible verse that says if you're good enough, if you're worthy enough. Mm -hmm. Nothing says you better be worthy enough to measure up. Ever. So why are you living in this this life of pressure and feeling like you're just never going to make it? God believes in you. And unless you're dead and in the grave or Jesus comes back, you got another chance Again and again and again, and how could you not give that to others? He says, I fast, I tithe, I pray, I adhere to all the oral traditions of the law, I have religious piety, I adhere and believe, I have national pride, I hate, I hate the enemies of Israel, therefore God's got to be with me and I'm going to win. But look how the sinner fights. The sinner fights by first bowing his head low, probably because of shame, comes into the house of God full of shame. A lot of you are here with shame. You've screwed up your past. you burned bridges. You've done horrible atrocities. I get it. So have I. But God's a shame breaker. God wants you to come out of the hiding and the fear. God wants to set you free so that you can fly and become everything that you're called to be. Mercy triumphs over judgment. We sang it, and we're going to sing it again. And have the band get ready. But I'm not done. So everybody just (laughs) hold tight. His head's bowed low. Sorrow. Brokenness. Hence the sacrifices that please God. Here's the lie. (laughs) See all these people up here dancing this morning? I got young adults. I got mamas and papas. I got this... I got this thing going on up here that I never orchestrated. My wife and I went to a church before we started Rock City in West Virginia. And we said to each other "And the Lord, we want children and mamas and papas dancing and worshiping at the front. Mm -hmm. But we didn't know how it was going to be. So could you imagine I said, now everybody get out of your seat. Now, sometimes I do it, but it's very rare if it's a corporate thing, but it's very rare. I said, now all of you get out of your seat and get up here. Get up here now and start worshiping. What's the matter with you? but something's just drawn people naturally because there's freedom and there's freedom to dance in the back, the side. There's even freedom not to dance. I don't really care. You know what I care about is that you worship. Don't be like this guy where your eyes are open and you're prideful and haughty and comparing it. Look at that. Look at that freak over there dancing like a crazy person. What's the matter with them? That crazy? They're lifting hands in that church. What's the matter? There's no reverence there. You give into the lie of religious piety and you think that you're better when these people should be up here because they're desperate and they're passionate, and they're in love, and we're setting an example for our children because I want my children to see you going. I want my children to see me. I want your children to see me, and you not because it's a show or because I'm trying to be a showboatman, but because I want to be an example to your family and to my family, and because I love them, and it's authentic. That's why we do, and I'm in need. Amen. He beats his chest, which is a picture of self-hatred in the context of, I don't want to live my life for myself anymore. It doesn't mean I hate me. It means I hate the life that I've been living. It's humility at its finest. He recognizes as a sinner. How does he know he's a sinner? This guy is the scourge of society not living in the temple. Because God has a way of bringing conviction in your heart. Trust me, there's a DNA in everybody. There's a little bit of truth in everyone, even an atheist or a Satanist, that God uses having created everyone in his image and his likeness originally, that they know in their heart whether they're doing the right thing or wrong, but then sin is simply not doing what God says to do, and it's missing the mark from what he set out biblically. So this guy had some understanding, and if you want to really live your life right, you've got to get biblical understanding in the written word and then hear his voice every day through his spoken word, and that's how you overcome and cry out for mercy every day of your life. Yeah. Jesus is our high priest where we can go and obtain mercy and grace in the time of need. How much need do you have? Do you think that I have an hour or two hours about, without need? It's not like I'm living every minute of every day. I'm a son. I walk confidently, yeah. but I'm, I'm always in need of his mercy and grace. Yeah. I'm no longer a sinner like I once was. I don't like the the statement, we're all sinners just saved by grace. We all were sinners saved by grace, but now we become sons, daughters. Now you get power, exousia. You get the ability to overcome. It's not arrogance and haughtiness, but it's living at the cross and living with what I'm teaching you today. This is the posture and position of humility that brings us justification in God's eyes. The knockout punch would come from God in verse 14. Jesus says, I tell you, this man went to, the hou- went to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Jesus proclaimed the victory over the sinner who, say this with me, was authentic, was authentic. Humble, humble, dependent upon God, dependent upon in desperate need of God's mercy. These are the people that get justification in their lives. And what I love more than anything of this story is I want you to notice the outcome. The sinner got something in the house of God but took it out the four walls and took it home. I hope you get touched here. I hope you experience his presence. But the greatest victory for me is not how many of you keep coming here and how big this church grows. The greatest victory is that you take it back to Port A and Sinton, Alice the nations of the world Kingsville if you're coming to school if you're going to school and driving here or hearing this message the south side your marketplace your work your home Because what happened to the sinner was real transformation real conversion He received what he cried out for in desperation And in turn through his humility He would be exalted if you humble yourself God will exalt you in every area of your life You know what exalt means? Exalt means that you get your dignity back. Some of you slept around with more lovers and more people you didn't know, and one night stands for the hookup. That was once me. Thank God I have no shame. I'll just tell you all about it. I broke those soul ties. I confessed and repented many years ago. God washed away my shame, and now it's a testimony to drive a nail in the devil's coffin or in his head. I have my dignity back. Yeah. He makes, you, he gives you your dignity back. Yes. But the answer to get dignity is to become undignified yeah. before his eyes and do like that sinner guy did, crying out, not worrying about what anybody else said or thought. The other thing for exalted, it means to be happy. How many of you have ever said to yourself, now don't lie because I'm watching you. I just want to be happy come on we've all said it this is the lie of the american dream in our society that happiness will be found through more money through more stuff through the next lover through the next spouse happiness comes when god exalts you because that's one of the meanings of being happy is god exalts you he gives you your dignity back he forgives you he restores you you forgive others and then to be exalted means he lifted, he lifts you up so Think about this. Are you all seeing me right now? People are hearing my voice. You're seeing me, right, for the most part. I am now exalted, not in my own strength or my own righteousness, but because I'm made righteous in him and because I trust him, so I get lifted up as a walking dead man who's been crucified over and over and over again. Now I can tell the story without shame and, in turn, help you to get the mercy, compassion, grace and freedom that you need because some of you have been living in darkness and fear and thinking God is against you and comparing yourself with me or the worship leader or my wife or the other person break the cycle of dysfunction and start looking at the life and the love of Christ and what the Bible says that you're supposed to live and be authentic to yourself for goodness sakes let's break this religious cycle that's plaguing our country and our nation and let's stop being polarized with each other amen come on Let's all stand. You have been listening to a message from David Bindet, senior pastor of Rock City Church in beautiful Corpus Christi, Texas. David's prayer is for a deeper understanding of God's love and purpose for your life and that all of us would grow into a greater awareness of our identity in Christ. Thank you for listening. And until next time, stay fired up.